The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Morning, Heritage. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah. You guys are awake. I like that. 8.30 service. Not so much. Hey, uh... If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up nice and high, wave it around as if you don't care, and, uh, but you do care because you want a Bible, and we're going to make sure that you get one. So uh, today, um, of all weeks, I want to make sure you're tracking with us as we uh, go through the Word today in particular. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand up nice and high. A couple of announcements. Next week is Daylight Savings Time. It's the good one. Can I get an amen? amen. That means we get an extra hour sleep. Can I get an Amen. Jesus, it's so good. Um, so that's next week means you set your clocks back an hour. Now, for most of us, we don't do anything, right? I mean, is anyone here just curious? Raise your hand if you're still using an alarm clock. Okay, for those of you with your hands up, set your clock back an hour. The rest of us won't do anything and our phones will wake us up as per usual, right? Um, also, another announcement, men's breakfast, November 12th at 8 a.m., um, it's free, but you have to be, uh, we, we only have 55 spots, so you have to sign up for that in advance. Um, and so we were told at the last service that there's going to be plenty of bacon, praise Jesus, right? So make sure that you sign up for that. You can do that. Also, volunteers are still needed for setup, cooking, and teardown. Um, if you would like to help out, if you can help us, see that tall guy right there, that tall drink of water right over there? That's Pat Schaff right there. And uh, he is the guy to talk to who's helping put that whole thing together. So make sure you join us November 12th. Um, there's more announcements in that little flyer you should have got when you were coming in, but that's enough for us to talk about today. Let's dive into Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you for this book. What a treasure and honor it is that we could have before us Words written by the one who spoke all things into existence. Lord, your word is powerful. You created galaxies with your word. You brought life with your word. You brought light separated from darkness, oceans, mountains, animals with your word. And Lord, before us, we have your word spoken to us. And so, God, I pray that just as all creation has bent and moved at your word, I pray our hearts would do also. May we be pliable. May we be teachable. But also, Lord, may we be comforted. May we see you, our king, this morning. May we be drawn closer to you. May we learn more of your grace, your goodness, your plan. Lord, there's people in this room from all sorts of backgrounds with all sorts of baggage and all sorts of challenges that they're facing. But your word is living and active and I pray that your spirit would breathe upon us this morning. That you would awaken souls to a love of you. That you would remind us of what's important. That you would call us to your mission. And that we would leave this place closer to you than when we came. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, guys, this is our last Sunday study in the book of Philippians. Uh, we have been in Philippians for a little while. We started the book of Philippians on May 1st of 2016. Anybody remember what we talked about on May 1st? Uh, yes, it was Philippians, but I'm looking for something a little more specific. 
A little more, little more narrow focus there. Um, I'm sure you don't because I taught it and I had to go back and look it up. But we talked about the idea of how most people, um, we want just enough gospel, but we don't want all, all gospel. Like we want, we want just enough gospel to maybe comfort us, but, but not so much gospel to challenge us. And we want just enough gospel to maybe cause us to do good things, but we don't want so much gospel that we might become missionaries or something. Like we want just enough gospel to, to show us God's provision and maybe to be generous or do some of those kind of things. But, but we don't want so much gospel that it completely redirects everything from our finances to how we live our lives. But what would it look like if a church was like all in? Like if we just said, this is the truth, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. All my chips on the table. You Baptist background people, that's a gambling term. That means we're putting everything in on that. Um, what, what if we did that? What if we were all in on the gospel? Well, the people in Philippi at this time were going all in with Jesus. Things were going to get really gnarly. Uh, the penalty for being all in for Jesus was going to become really, really dire. It was going to be a difficult season. Life was getting hard. Paul is in prison already. Persecution from the Roman government was coming big time. And it was going to get much, much, much worse. And so Paul writes this letter to the people of Philippians. And, and they would have got this letter. They would have opened up the envelope, busted it out and said, hey guys, we got a letter from Paul. Let's all gather around. Let's, let's hear what our teacher, let's hear what our pastor, let's hear what our founder has to say. And they would have all, you know, read this letter. Well, we, we did that. We just read it over six months. Uh, 19 sermons. There's four, that's a long time to spend on a, a, a book of the Bible that only has four chapters. And each chapter is only like 20, 25, somewhere in that ballpark uh, verses. So we're somewhere around a sermon every five verses. Now, we do that for a reason. We, we have kind of a, a style, if you will, or, or a way that we like to approach the scriptures for the most part. Um, and, and we really want to kind of dissect, study, and really learn and understand the scriptures. So we have kind of this like micro level, you might say, approach to the scriptures. We're like, we want, to, we want every nugget in here, amen? Um, but there's, there's pros and cons to that approach. There really are. Um, some of the pros, for example, is like w when you're taking a micro level approach to scripture, when you're going verse by verse, in some cases, word by word going through here, you can't really gloss over anything, can you? I mean, w when you get to something that you're like, oh, I don't want to teach on that. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Ooh, I don't like that. We, you, it kind of stands out if I skip it, right? So, so one of the advantages is we, we deal with everything. We, the full counsel of God's word, we, we run across it all and we study it all. Um, other advantages are um, we, we take the, the study of scripture very seriously. We believe that these are the words of life, that they're important to our lives. And, and so we want every possible nugget we can get out of it, right? Like we don't want to miss anything. If there's a truth that's going to affect our lives, we want it all. Amen. So, amen. amen. 8.30 service come back. So anyway, um, we're also, we're not hurrying through the scriptures. We're more concerned that the scriptures find uh, soil in us than like how fast we can bust through. That's good. But um, sometimes when you're taking that 30,000 foot, if you will, like we're down here on the ground, we're going verse at a time going through these things. But if we were to approach the scriptures from more of a flyover standpoint, kind of that 30,000 feet flying over big picture thing, that can be good. But one of the problems sometimes is that when you're up that high, something can be right in front of you and yet you miss it. 
Like right in your face, there can be something that's so important, something that's so needed, something we really want to hear, but because we're standing back so far, we don't even notice it right there. We're going to look at one such thing today. But there are cons to this kind of approach to scripture. Because when you're at micro level, when you're looking at verse at a time, when you're taking this book and stretching it out over a six month period of time, well, it's easy really to, to forget the overall flow of what Paul's really trying to do. Again, this was a letter sent to a group of people that they would have busted it out right then. And so for those of you who remember getting letters or for those of you who get emails, odds are, no, we don't even do emails anymore, like tweets, whatever. But um, odds are we're not going, okay, I got a letter. I'm going to read the first three verses and then I'll put it away. And next week we'll read the next three. And then the next week we'll read. That's not how we approach it. And Paul writes this book with a specific purpose. As he's writing the people of Philippi, he's taking them somewhere. He's a very careful author. The words he uses, he uses for a reason, as we'll see at the end of the sermon today. He's very meticulous, and he's trying to get some uh, kind of an overall point. There's some individual things, but there's a big picture idea that he really wants to impress on the people there. And, And so one of the problems if you take six months to study the whole letter is you can forget what that is. Like if I was to say to you guys that have been tracking with us this whole time, hey, what have you learned as we've been studying the book of Philippians? Odds are most of your answers would come from the second half of the book of Philippians, maybe even the last chapter of Philippians, because that's what's most fresh on our mind. We don't remember, most of us, what happened on May 1st, but we might remember what Jeff pounded on us about money. Or we might remember the fear and anxiety stuff or some of those things. And so what happens is you, you just, I mean, we're humans, right? We can kind of lose some of that big picture idea. So we're going to do something here this morning that's a little bit different. I've been tempted to do this for probably the last four books of the Bible that we've studied. We're going to take the 30,000 foot approach today. And we're going to read all of the book of Philippians. Now, Before you check out on me and go, sweet, read it before, I'm going to pull out the phone, let's see what the football games are doing. Hang on. I want you to lean in this morning. I want you to put yourself in the place of the Philippian people. And for many of you, that's really easy to do. Because for many of you, you have hard things facing you right now in life, right? Many of you are wrestling with fears and anxieties about things. I mean, the people of Philippi, they remember like there was no real uh, glimmer of hope to show them that things in their current culture then were going to get any better. The Roman government wasn't going to get unelected the next time the election season came around. They were still in control. They were still powerful. They're in a city with soldiers everywhere. And they're this little seemingly powerless church. Their vote doesn't matter. They're kind of like Oregon, right? Especially Medford, Oregon. Our, our presidential votes don't matter. You do know that, right? Like they've already, they've already announced who wins before we even get close to closing our polls. That's just how it works, especially in Southern Oregon because we get outvoted by the population centers in Oregon. So our president vote just doesn't matter. Well, this is how they, I'm sorry to be bearer of bad news. And, and the, I'm, it's just true. Anyway, this is kind of where they are. They're like, we're powerless, we're small, we're weak. There's not a whole lot going on around us uh, uh, that we have any control over. But, go on, but the f- powers that be around us are coming in tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. The difficulties, bigger, bigger, bigger. Their pastor and leader, Paul, is in prison now. And so think about it from their perspective. And things aren't getting better anytime soon. What are we going to do? Opposition's growing. Now our leader's in prison. So 
The one we follow, Jesus, was murdered. Now our, our pastor, Paul, is in prison. What's next for us? And as you guys know, it was going to get really, really hard. And so Paul wrote them a letter. Heritage, you've been written a letter. So I want you to think as we're reading through this. And I'll pause at times as we're going through it. I'm going to point some things out. But this is what I want you to notice. I want you to have in the framework of your mind whatever it is you're facing, if you're in that category. Whether it's things that have happened to you that you still wrestle with whether it's things that are coming that you don't know how you're going to deal with, whether it's difficulties you're in right now and you don't know how to process that, whether you're tired, whether you're beaten down, whether you're sick, whatever it is that's going on, I want you to have that in the framework right at the forefront of your mind. And then I want you to put yourself into the, fate, into the place of the Philippian people who are in that setting. And here's what we're going to notice as we read through these things is that Paul has this continuing thing. It's almost an optimistic letter, but it's not blind optimism. What he's saying to them over and over is lift up your head, lift up your head, look up, look up. I, I know there's hardship, but look at not, not just look up, but, but look, and he's pointing them somewhere. And then I want you to see, we're going to fly at 30,000 feet until we get to the last four verses of this book. And then we're just going to plummet down tight. And we're going to see something remarkable on the micro level at the very, very end. So don't check out on me as we're reading this. Amen, church? If you're with me, Sam, with you. All right. So heritage, a letter just came from our pastor. Paul has written to us. Let's see what he has to say. Philippians 1 verse 1 says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. With the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you all in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge, all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. He says, hey, church, I love you. I'm thinking about you all the time. I'm praying for you all the time. I am thankful for you. And I know things are getting hard. They're gonna be difficult. But hey, I want good for you. I'm not writing you some random letter, but I want the best for you. I want to see you flourishing and growing and doing well, no matter what's going on outside around you. That's what I want for you, Heritage, he would say. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. He says, church, it's hard out there. It's gotten worse. And yeah, you're, you're right. I know you heard and I know you've been nervous about this, but, but yeah, I am in prison. I'm in Rome. I'm in prison and uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But listen, don't be discouraged. Look up, church. Listen, don't hang your heads in defeat. The gospel's still going forward whether I'm in jail or not. The whole Roman guard is even hearing the gospel. So even though I'm in here, God's still moving. So don't be discouraged. In fact, rejoice. And then almost as if he's preaching to himself, he says again, I, I will, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, serving, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and you now hear that I have. He says, guys, in spite of the difficulty, and it's, it's, it's coming for you too. You're, gonna, you're not just victors, but you, you are going to suffer for Christ. But listen, stand firm. The gospel's moving. We serve a king that's winning. And despite what's going on around you and all the things that are happening, listen, you do not have to be afraid. Hang in there. Serve. Strive. And even if you die, it's better anyway. You're going to be with the Lord. But while you're here, we're serving the kingdom. And so with unity, church, hey, hang in there. Love one another. Serve one another. So if there's any encouragement, chapter 2, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, church, listen. Love one another, serve one another. Don't freak out when these hard times come. Don't even look at my imprisonment as something to keep you from the, what we're called to do. Press forward. Don't look out for yourself. Don't worry about yourself, but be like Jesus because he had it all. He had comfort and power and prestige and wealth, but that wasn't what was so important to him. He wanted you. And so he set those things aside. He humbled himself. He became like us. The struggles we go through, he went through them. The threats, the persecution, he went through them. Should this lead to our death? He went through it. He went through those things, but it did not end him and it won't end us. He has been risen. He has been exalted. And one day, church, one day, oh, they say around you in the culture, there's that popular saying that, that at the name of Caesar, every knee will bow. But let me tell you this, what they don't know is one day, the day is coming when our king will be here and they will bow. We will all bow. Whether you want to or not, you will be before Jesus, the king of all, the creator of all, and you will bow. So don't lose hope, church. It ain't done. Even if you should die, you're not done. God is still in charge. So keep serving, keep loving, keep putting others first. Don't worry about you. Follow Jesus. Therefore, my beloved as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of all your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice in me. This is not a waste of time, church. This is not a, a vain effort. And even if we die, that does not matter. Should we be poured out? Should every ounce of our blood be spilled for this particular cause? We should still rejoice in it because he's still worth it. And he's still moving. And the kingdom is still growing. So strive. Finish strong. We are not running in vain. We are not wasting our time, Heritage. I totally should have got an amen on that. Didn't you think? I even voice inflection and everything. It didn't happen. I don't know what happened there. 830 service. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and a fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all 
and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, oh, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So I am more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It's safe for you. But look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. He says, I've had it all. I built the resume. I did all the work. I had all of this stuff. And you know what I found out at the end? It's rubbish, poop, literally crap. It's garbage compared to just the benefit, blessing, and joy of just knowing Jesus. Nothing else matters, Philippians. Nothing else matters. I don't care what's on your resume. I don't care how hard you're working to serve. All you need is just strive to know him and be known by him and have his righteousness. Don't, don't show me your resume. Show me his. Show me how you're covered by him. That's the only thing that matters, church. You're getting it. Verse 12, not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me. Join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I've often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. 
They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Hey, watch who you listen to. Don't get pulled away. Don't get distracted by things that don't matter. Don't listen to these wolves that are just after them, things for themselves. They're building followers because they want you. Listen, don't do it, but you follow me and those like me who have set our eyes upon Jesus Christ. And if you're worried that you're gonna end up with nothing, doesn't matter. We're not part of this kingdom. This isn't our home. You're not gonna end up with nothing. You're serving and working and striving towards rewards in heaven that will never, ever fade, that can never be taken away. That's where you set your eyes. Don't get distracted by this junk that's all around us all the time, but realize even these horrible, lame, painful, aging, flabby bodies that we all have, one day Jesus is gonna change us. We're gonna be like him. We will live forever like him. So we don't have to get worked up about this junk here. Keep your eyes on what's important. Hey, church, look up. Look up. You have cancer. So what? You'll be fine. Look up. The enemy's after you. You're going to be okay. Look up. Should people even kill you, you're going to wake up to the eyes of Jesus with a body that can never be destroyed. And that's what we're living for. So stand firm. I entreat that lady, and I entreat that lady too, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Hey, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's any worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I do seek the fruit 
that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, church, don't be afraid. Don't be overcome by fear and anxiety. I, I know there's bad things coming. I know you see them coming. I know you, you're hearing about persecution. You're hearing about me being in jail. You're hearing about all these things. You, for all we know, you may hear that I'm dead. But listen, don't be overcome. Just go to the king. We're residents of a kingdom with a king who set all his power aside because he wanted you. And he's saying, hey, come to me. Talk to me. When you're scared, go to him. And then keep serving, keep loving. You guys have loved me so well and it's been my pleasure to write and love you. Just keep serving. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Listen, listen, church, listen. God will, not maybe, not might, my God will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. So may all glory, honor, and praise be to God. That's what he writes. Now, do you see it? Do you feel it? He's telling him, I, look up. Look up. Even if short term, even if our life here should end badly, where the average person would look at that and go, that, that's not ending okay. Trust me, hey, it's going to be okay. God promises to take care of you. He promises to provide your needs. He promises you are his kid in his kingdom. And even should your life end here, you're going to wake up in glory you can't even imagine. So no matter what's going on, church, look up. Be encouraged. It's going to be okay. Now we like that. Amen? Amen? If you're dealing with stuff, if you're facing things, if life's hard, it's encouraging to read Philippians and remember those things, right? But how long does that last? Can we just be real for a minute? Like we like the words and they're encouraging and they're important. In no way am I denigrating the scriptures. But sometimes don't we just want like a little nugget of hope, like proof? You know what I mean? It's gonna be okay. All right, I believe. Now help my unbelief. Hey, the kingdom's advancing. Things are happening. All this stuff we're doing, it's not in vain. You're gonna be all right. Good, yes, I believe it. Man, I just wish I could see it. You know what I mean? Very few of us are spiritual supermen that can just go, yeah, beat me. Thank you, sir, may I have another? Because Jesus is in control. Very few of us live that life, especially when the beatings first come, right? And so, so there's hope and there's encouragement, but Paul knows these guys really well. Paul loves these guys very much. And Paul writes this letter purposefully to encourage them and to help them understand no matter what comes, as bad as it might get, the gospel's advancing, our king still lives, hang in there and keep going. And then I like to think that as Paul writes the next four verses, he does it with a smirk. Like, I think Paul's up to something when he writes these last verses. In the same way that maybe like a, a movie producer or a, a, a movie director puts together a film that has a surprise ending. And the audience in the theater's never seen it yet. And he knows the surprise ending's coming. Bruce Willis is really dead and he's the only guy that knows it. If you haven't seen that movie yet, that's on you. Anyway, 
And so as the part's coming, it's right near the end, and he turns to the audience because he wants to sort of see their reaction as that comes. I, I kind of think Paul had a little bit of that in him because he says something remarkable in the last four verses of this book. Okay, so throw on your parachutes, bail out, free fall. We're going from 30,000 feet back down to micro level. I think Paul gives these people a nugget of proof that blew their minds when they read it. And from 30,000 feet, we'll miss it. And we, we do. I mean, let's just be honest. The way that we tend to approach the scriptures, right, is we go, greetings and salutations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the good stuff. And then we read, read, study, study, study. And then it's like, okay, hey, greet everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the next thing. But there's something in here. So as I read it, see if you spot it, Okay micro level now, looking down at it, Paul writes his conclusion to them. And he says this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Did you catch it? Did some of you catch it? I hear some whispers over here. Somebody caught it. Think about what he just said. He said, hey guys, the people that are with me greet you. Man, we love you. We hope you're doing well. All the saints around here greet you. The Christians in Rome, the church in Rome, they all send their greetings. They all love you. And then he says, look at it right there. Especially those of who? Caesar's household? What? Yeah, <laughs> the Christians in Caesar's house say what up? That would have blown their minds. They're terrified of Caesar. Caesar's the cause of all the problems. And it's only going to get worse. And they're like, man, I, I love this letter, Paul. And I love that you tell us that we're not doing this in vain and that we're headed the right way and that the king's there. But man, I wish I could see something. Okay, I'll tell you what. The Christians in Caesar's house, they're doing good and they say hi. What? The gospel has penetrated Caesar's house. Totally should have got an amen again right there. Don't, don't do it now. You missed your chance. Too late. That would be an unbelievable harbinger of hope to this little church out in the middle of nowhere that feels so removed from everything except the persecution to come. They feel all that. Now, we have something even better. We have a little nugget of proof that we can look at because we now have 2,000 years of history. So we get the opportunity now to go, and how did it all turn out? How did all that go? Well, at first, not so good. I'm gonna ask the guys if they would to bring the lights down. And I've got some pictures I wanna put up. If you travel with us next September, we're gonna be doing one of these Apostle Paul trips and we're gonna be going um, to all these places and at some point along the trip, we're going to go to Rome. And when we go to Rome, we will see this. This is what? Roman Colosseum. Everyone knows that. All over the world, everyone knows. This is the most iconic, most famous, most recognizable thing in all of Rome. It's the Roman Colosseum. And it's really interesting, man. At, at 30,000 feet, you miss things that are right in front of you. There's something significant about this. Now, let me, let me tell you a couple things about it first. The Roman Colosseum was built, it holds 50,000 people. That is a gigantic arena, right? 
50,000 people. But it was a massive slap in the face to the people of God because they say that when, when uh, Titus helped complete some of this, that he even used some of the treasures and the plunder that they took from Jerusalem when they wiped out that city of God in his invasion to finish this building. So it was a constant slap in the face to the Jewish people, to the people of God, but it was much worse than something just merely offensive. So in this place, on the inside, the floor in the arena there was built out of wood, but it was all sealed. It was put together and sealed up, and it was done so that it would be waterproof, because what they actually would do sometimes is fill the floor with water and reenact naval battles inside this place. But they did other things too, as you all know. So what they did is they had that wood floor there, but they put sand on top of it. Do you know why? Because sand absorbs blood. And this was a bloody, bloody place. Did you even know the actual name arena comes from the Latin word that means sand? This is why. And this place was notorious. This would be hell to any Christian there. If, if any of the Christians in that time had anything on earth to be afraid of, that represented everything they should be afraid of. And so there were gladiator battles and sports and chariot races, yes, but also Christians were stoned, crucified, burned at the stake, lit on fire to, to light the arena in nighttime sometimes. Um, and then there was damnatio ad bestia, if I'm pronouncing that right. It literally means thrown to the beasts. One of the early church fathers, one of the most well-known, St. Ignatius, was actually arrested and told to recant his faith in which he refused. And so he was thrown to the wild beasts in that Colosseum. And they say that the animals tore into him so much and ripped him apart so much that when they were done, all that was left were a few of his bones that Christians were able to somehow gather together, sneak out of the Colosseum, and they were later taken and buried to try to honor him. Just a few bones were left. This place was devastating. Charles Dickens wrote of this place when he visited it, and this is what he said. It is the most impressive, most stately, most solemn, grand, majestic, mournful sight conceivable. Never in its bloodiest prime can the sight of this gigantic coliseum full and running over with the lustiest life have moved one heart as it must move now all who look upon it as a ruin. And God be thanked, it's a ruin. He said, when you know the history of this, praise God, it is a ruin now. And that what went on there. Now imagine a Christian at that time living in a culture where it was okay, where in fact any night 50,000 people would pay money to go watch Christians get ripped apart. And you're serving Jesus, trying to follow Jesus in a culture with that sort of bloodlust. Imagine how hard that would be. What possible hope could you have? But there's something really unique. Like I said, if you fly at 30,000 feet, sometimes you miss things that are right in front of you. And some time ago, Andy Stanley was speaking at a leadership conference to a group of pastors. And he was really teaching in many ways, the same way Paul's writing here in Philippians. He was trying to encourage these Christian leaders and saying, hey, just hang in there. Keep doing it. Keep pressing in. It's okay. Jesus is in control. Jesus promised to build his church. He will build his church. And, and he showed a picture and told a story about when he took a group through this Colosseum while he was there. He said that when he walked in, he saw this. 
And there's people everywhere milling around. There's people all over. There's crosses all over the city of Rome now, thanks to the influence of the Catholic Church and many others. So he said, it's really easy to miss. But here's what he noticed. When you're going into the Colosseum, and if you're with us next September, you're going to do this. You walk through a gate to come into the Colosseum. And you know what gate that is? It's called the Emperor's Gate. And there, above the Emperor's Gate, is a cross. Just think about that for just a second. Imagine that you had the ability to go back in time, to go back to this church in Philippi who's reading this letter. Maybe years later, maybe some of the Philippians have been arrested. Maybe some of the Philippian people end up dying in this church, in this Colosseum years later. Who knows? But imagine you got to go back to those early church Christians who are facing that sort of hardship and you said to them, hey, listen, I, I know it's hard, but, but listen, I'm from the future. Sorry about the weird clothes, but there's a cross at the emperor's gate in the Roman Colosseum. Take heart. Not, not a cross to crucify more Christians, but there's a cross to commemorate you and the one who died upon that cross. And it hangs over the emperor's gate in the Roman Colosseum. Church, do you understand that? Think about that. There is a cross over the emperor's gate in the Roman Colosseum. Imagine telling them, Philippians, listen, one day people will pay thousands of dollars and they will travel thousands of miles to come to that Colosseum to see that cross, to remember people like you and to celebrate the fact that our king still lives. Philippians, that image of terror will be one of the most frequented places for Christian tourism in the world one day. Not entertainment, worship of a God who conquered this kingdom. Philippians, one day people will name their children Peter and Paul. They will name their dogs Caesar and Nero. Philippians, when Heritage Christian Fellowship goes to Rome, no one's going to be going, where's Nero buried? You know what they're going to go see? St. Peter's Basilica. One of the most incredible, elaborate buildings there, built to honor a fisherman who followed Jesus. So hang in there. Philippians, trust me, there's a cross over the emperor's gate in the Roman Colosseum. Heritage, that thing I told you to put at the forefront of your mind, that struggle, that difficulty, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, listen to me. There's a cross over the emperor's gate of the Roman Colosseum. And there's a cross over whatever it is that you're facing in life right now. Jesus still lives. And the promise that was made to the Philippian people, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. I will provide every need. And even should life here for you in badly, you will wake up in glory you can't imagine. So Heritage, look up. Lift up your head. Remember the gospel. Remember Jesus. Follow Jesus. Stand firm on the gospel. And remember, there's a cross over the emperor's gate in the Roman Colosseum. We're going to take an opportunity right now just to simmer in that for a few minutes. We're going to sing because this is what's so important. If these things are true, and they are, 
If my God will provide every need, then what's the only thing we need? It's Jesus. So if you're in this room and the thing that you're facing that you've got to deal with is cancer or some disease, you need Jesus. If you're in this room and the thing that you're wrestling with is relational, son, daughter, husband, wife, whatever the case may be, you need Jesus. If it's money, if it's provision, if it's housing, if it's anxiety, if it's work, if it's whatever it is, the only thing we need is Jesus. And Paul writes this letter to tell the Philippians people, no matter what you face, no matter how bad it gets, keep your eyes on Jesus. He will finish, as he says, the work he began in you. And heritage, that promises for us too. Do you believe it? So let's take opportunity. I want you to stand with me. I want you to pray. And I want you to sing this song like you mean it. I don't mean, if you're just singing out of religion, if you're just singing because that's what we do, if you're just singing because Jeff said so, you totally have my permission to check out. But for those of you that would, that would lean in, that would believe these things, you engage your heart and your spirit, give glory to God and sing about the only thing we need, Jesus. God, we commit this time to you. May your spirit move in this place, awaken souls, minds, and passions for you. May you comfort and lead your people. In Jesus' name, let's sing.